The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abuel Samad. So we're, I was going to say we're doing a rare Saturday recording, but I think like a couple of weeks ago we did a rare Sunday recording. So yeah. you know what? Like we, we, we do this when we have time, and now's when we have time. So uh, happy weekend. And uh, That's right. And, and you're getting what you paid for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's and true. And we're giving you what we're getting paid for. Right. That is correct. Uh, I don't know, man. The amount of... We pay for this in, in one way or another. We pay. Anyway. That's true. <laughs> well, that, well, that's the problem is we're doing the paying. We're not getting paid for this. That's so. true. Uh, we boy, we're doing we sound it like, out of the goodness of our hearts and the I, fact that sometimes we just want to spout off. I think no matter that's what, what it is. people think of our opinions. Uh, that's true. I mean, we have a platform. We might as well use it. Sometimes it's it's just cathartic. Exactly. This is therapy. You know what? If you weren't doing the podcast. You would probably pay somebody to go talk to them for talk therapy. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, let's get to what we're driving. Um, you have way better cars than I did this week. So uh, why don't you talk about what you're driving? Yeah. So uh, over the last week, I had a couple of different cars or last week and a half. I had a couple of different cars, uh, a couple of midsize uh, premium European SUVs, as a matter of fact. Um, one that I drove here uh, at home in Michigan and uh, one that I drove when I went out to Colorado for a few days uh, for a work related event and, uh, and a long weekend with my wife. Um, the first was the the new Volvo XC60 and the what uh what i really like about this this the xc60 is that it really makes me want the new v60 um <laughs> you know the, the 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 new 60 series the new volvo 60 series which is their mid-size lineup you know which uh currently includes the xc60 and the the they just launched uh the v60 at the geneva auto show last month and there should be an s60 coming up uh, an s60 sedan coming up in the next few months uh sometime pro- probably at uh, let's see, was it Frankfurt this year or, or Paris? I can never remember which one's which. Uh, uh, th- I mean, it's Europe, right? So it's not that yeah. big of a region. What? They don't buy that many cars or anything. It's uh, somewhere over there. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> whichever is the big fall show. I mean, that Paris and Frankfurt alternate every other year. Um, 
So anyway, the uh, the X the sixty series uh, is based on the same Volvo um, scalable product architecture platform as the bigger ninety series, uh, but it's it's in a what I would consider to be a, a more pleasant, more manageable size. Um, you know, it's it's the the right sized version of the XC ninety, and you know. Uh, I yeah, this is a platform that I like. I like driving it. Uh, you know, it's all-wheel drive uh, on this one. It's the uh, this was the T6, so it's got the twin-charged uh, two-liter four-cylinder, three hundred and fifteen horsepower, um, with a turbocharger and a mechanically driven supercharger. Um, it's a wonderful engine. I uh, really like that engine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's 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 powerful, um, responsive. Um, has a really nice sound to it, you know, that gives you, you know, that hint of performance, you know, without, um, without, you know, trying to come across, you know, like a, a boy racer or anything like that. You know, it's, it's just grown up enough. <coughs> yeah. They and don't play, uh, they don't play any car sound through the speakers or anything. No, they don't, which I'm thankful for. <laughs> um, you know, and then in most other respects, you know, it's very much like the 90 series vehicles, the the, the V90, the S90 and the XC90, uh, you know, which is both, uh, you know, good and good and bad, uh, you know, good in, you know, in terms of the, the materials and the fit and finish and everything, comfortable seats. Um, it's fairly roomy. Um, and, uh, you know, and unfortunately, it also still has census, um, which we've you know, talked about ad nauseum before and, you know, I'm so, not going to well, yeah, beat but, that uh, so horse. Um, before we get too far from it, though, like, do you find that the more time you spend with it, do you, do you like it less? Um, uh, neither less or more. I, I, I still don't really like it. Um, you know, it's, you know, perhaps marginally more, it felt marginally more responsive than it has in the past on the 90 series models. Uh, so I don't know if they've tweaked the software a little bit or maybe, you know, gone with a slightly faster processor or, you know, what, but it's, you know, in, despite that, I'm still not a fan of the, the general user interface uh, and the user experience with it. You know, you st it's still the layout with um, three screens, you know, so when whatever is kind of the current operational mode is on the middle screen and you've got some functions to the, when you swipe to the left and some other functions when you swipe to the right. And, you know, for example, if you, you know, you're on the middle screen, you know, if I'm using Android auto and I swipe over to the, swipe left to get to the right hand screen uh you know if i if i want to change the um the audio settings you know to go from the, the the studio mode to the concert hall mode or to some other mode you know i'll you tap on that it comes and pops back to the middle screen you select the mode you want and then you have to swipe back over again to get back to the android auto interface you know it's there's there's too many taps and swipes you know for a lot of things that should be fairly straightforward um you know that it, i'm just uh, i'm just not particularly enthused with this overall interface and i'll be glad when they move on to something else yeah i i will say nothing other than i concur and let's uh talk about the rest of it so you said it's like a right-sized xc90 so a everybody who bought the xc90 because they couldn't wait for the 60 to come out is 
you know, hopefully still satisfied. But if you're, you know, feel like it's too big, <laughs> now you have your option. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it it all depends on on your use case, you know. I mean, you know, we've talked with uh, with Casey Liss a couple of times on the show, and his wife driving drives an XC ninety, and you know they've got two kids, and you know that for for them, you know, having you know a little bit bigger utility, you know, is probably fine, you know, especially with two young kids, you know, when if you're going to you know visit uh, family or you know taking a road trip or something like that, there's always all kinds of stuff that you need to load in the back, you know, you've got storage rollers and play pens and all, you know, all, all the other usual accoutrements that go along with small children. Uh, and so, you know, for them, the, the XC 90 may be the, the better, you know, the better size. Um, although, you know, I mean, we had cars closer in size to the XC 60, you know, when my kids were younger and, you know, we, we managed just fine. Um, you know, I personally prefer, you know, something a little, you know, a little bit on the, the smaller to midsize uh, side, you know, for general day-to-day driving. Uh, and I, I personally find the XC60, you know, more to, more to my liking in terms of size-wise and, and dynamics. Um, and, you know, that that's why I'm, I'm, you know, waiting patiently for the V60 to show up. Because, you know, I also prefer the, the lower ride height. You know, I am not among the, the increasing group of the population that prefers to have a, a higher ride height and the ability to um, theoretically see over the, the rest of the road users, although that's you know, not really uh, possible anymore when everybody's driving utility. You know, when, when everybody's above average, is anybody above average? No, now what you need is a lower car so you can see under it's all yeah, ex- exactly that's my point that's why i drive a miata right. so i can see under everybody else um <laughs> no yeah but you're right uh, you know I, I i prefer the the driving dynamics of a of a lower center of gravity and you know so you know if if it, if i was spending my own money it would be on something more like the v60 than the uh the xc60 but you know that's that's my personal opinion, and for a lot of people, the the V sixty or the XC sixty is is the right one for them. Um, and I think you know if you're looking for a premium midsize SUV, you know you're for the most part you're probably going to be really happy with something like the XC sixty. You know it's it's got plenty of performance. Um, you know there's there's also I don't know if it's available yet the plug in hybrid. Uh, if it's not on sale yet, it will be fairly soon you know uh adding the um the battery and and the electric drive on the rear axle that uh, we also have uh in the xc90 t8 uh, as well as the s90 and the v90 uh so you know that one will give you about uh i think about 15 miles of all electric driving and you know if you're looking for something even more fuel efficient you know that will be the best you know that will be the best option but um you know the the XC60 you know was was great um you know i think i think it's uh you know it's it's got beautiful materials the leather and the the open open pore wood trim you know which is my preference over the the high gloss uh wood trims that uh, a lot of cars have um and because it's not the hybrid it does have um more of a traditional shifter in there uh mechanical uh shift linkage 
um, and which to you know works more consistently than the setup that uh, that Volvo has in their plug-in hybrids with the electronic switch for the shifter. Yeah, I don't like the um, the, the plug-in one. It's weird. Yeah, so you know, it's I think it you know it's it's a great it's a great vehicle. Um, one thing I did notice though, you know, having uh, recently driven the V ninety uh, about a month and a half ago. Um, by comparison, the drive pilot system in this one, the, um, the partially automated, uh, system, um, actually seemed to, it, it worked in terms of, uh, detecting the lanes. Um, it worked, uh, it seemed to work about as well as the V90 did, which, to, which is to say it was better than the past XC90s and S90s that I've driven. Um, but it actually seemed in terms of trying to hold the lane, uh, stay centered in the lane and, and track the lane, you know, when you're going around a corner, it actually seemed to drift more than the v90 did um and i'm not sure if that's just a matter of the way they've got the xc60 calibrated uh by comparison to the 90 series uh, but it it was definitely um the the lane keeping the lane centering system was definitely less useful in this one than it was in the in the v90 that i recently drove huh like overall I, a i think it's it's just it's a beautiful vehicle like volvo has just really reinvented stuff yeah they've nailed it on their design over the last couple I mean, of years I, I can't get over how premium it all it looks you know from from inside and out it's just it, it it's wonderful because uh, there's uh, you know been the running joke about volvo for however many years they're boring or they're boxy <laughs> they, 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 well they they the the running joke was always that they looked like the box that they came yeah. in um, and, you know, some of us who had those Volvos really appreciated it. And there's a sort of understated elegance and, and a, a, you know, real functional design. I don't know. I don't want to get too geeky about it. But, uh, you know, the, the last time they had such a cohesive lineup, I don't know that we we really took notice as much. I mean, we might have taken it for granted um, when the first generation S80 came out and really shifted them away from squarish cars uh and that proliferated throughout the whole lineup uh you know you had the s80 the the smaller s60s and the 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 v70s and and the uh the first um xc90 you know they all really looked like they belonged together and and these cars still not volvo's lineup they they really look like volvo's i'm so impressed by that and you, you get in the interior and besides senses you know that you're in in a Volvo and, and I, I, it's, it's really well done. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it, it looks like it should cost, you know, six, 50, 60, $70,000, you know, depending on the trim level you yeah. have, you know, it give, given, given what it costs, you know, it looks the part. Yeah. And it's it actually going from sort of your first impression of it to looking at the sticker. It's usually a little bit of a surprise. It usually winds up being cheaper than you, you thought it might be. Yeah, especially, you know, if you compare it to, uh, you know, to something like, uh, you know, a Mercedes or a BMW, you know, that's comparable, uh, it usually does come out, you know, maybe ten or $15,000 cheaper for, you know, what would be, you know, a roughly comparable amount of equipment. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, their systems are, you know, they've, they've really done well to um, add active safety 
to the cars and, and passive safety has always been one of their strengths for, for generations now. And, and uh, you know, I just remember back to when the small overlap test um, came out when they started testing cars for that. Uh, basically everybody failed. There was a couple that didn't. And one of the ones that didn't was the old original XC90 that was, you know, at least five or six years old on the market at that point, you know, something that was designed in the late nineties, uh, managed to, to do well. It passed that test, um, protected the driver. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the only, you know, as I said, you know, with the, the drive pilot assist pilot assist, uh, system, you know, that was, uh, that, that was really the only flaw in this. And, you know, as I talked about, you know, last time, you know, all you got to do is just, Remember that none of the cars that are currently available for sale are are autonomous. So you do still have to drive them. You know, it will, you know, it, the this the system will will give you some assistance, but it's it's not it's not going to keep you on the road, um, you know, unless you are fully in control of the car. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a nice place to spend time, though, from what it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. Um, so you went from that to a another place that's nice to spend time. You you uh, went over to the uh, Mercedes side. Yeah. So, um, you know, I dropped off the uh, the Volvo at the airport, flew out to Colorado for a few days for uh, a work event. Um, and uh, while I was out there, I had the Mercedes GLE 550E, uh, which is the plug in hybrid variant of the uh, of Mercedes uh, equivalent of the XC60. Okay. They're, they're midsize. Yes, because I was going to say, I, they've done they didn't even hire Johan Donation and they screwed up all their names. I'm shocked. Well, actually, um, they, you know, they, they, they changed all the names, but at least, you know, if, if you're going to stick with, um, uh, some, you know, alphanumeric system, which Mercedes, you know, granted has always had for, you know, their, their entire history, you know, they've never had, you know, actual, you know, name names, uh, on their vehicles. So, uh, at least, you know, what they did when they changed them around is they made them somewhat more consistent. So everything that starts with GL is, is a crossover or SUV. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the, the third letter in there, you know, denotes the, the size, you know, so the GLA is the small one. Uh, the GLC is the, the compact, uh, you know, so, you know, the C segment size, the GLE is the midsize, you know, that is, you know, comparable in size to the E class. Uh, and then the GLS, which was formerly just the GL, uh, is the, the big three row utility. And so the, the GLE is the one that up until two years ago was known as the ML, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> I'll try so, to keep it you know, at, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I you know, I mean, at least Mercedes, like I said, Mercedes has always used letters and numbers, you know, in this way. And at least now the, the, the nomenclature is a little more consistent and you can, you know, you can, you can, you know, get an idea of where, you know, where everything falls. So, as I said, the, the GLE is the, the, um, roughly, the, you know, comparable in size to the XC60. And, you know, in its current form, you know, when it, when it went from the ML to GLE, nameplate it it got a mid-cycle refresh but you know this this one has been around for a while uh in more or less its current form since uh about 2010 uh 2010 or 2011 uh when it launched and you know this one's 
you know, the the design, you know, the platform design and everything actually dates back to, you know, more than a decade, um, you know, before uh, Daimler and Chrysler actually split up. And so there's a lot of similar chassis DNA between this vehicle and the uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee and the um, Dodge Durango. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're all based on the same basic architecture, uh, which is, is a good thing. I mean, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that basic no, architecture. It's, it's really good. Um, and, and everybody likes all three of those vehicles. So there, there's, there's a core of really yeah. solid uh, design. And I'm assuming that the Mercedes versions of it are, are built a little differently and, and maybe they have more welds or, you know, different uh, details. I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of, actual component differences but the the design and layout and hard points are you get one on the lift and you go oh it's one of those um yeah so it's an interesting comparison though because they they really are the xc60 and um the gle are going to be cross-shopped so how do they stack up against each other um the you know the 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 one i drove uh as it says the plug-in hybrid so this is kind of the the higher end version it's got uh, a twin turbo three liter uh, v6 with about 400 horsepower uh or actually um it's let's see the i think the total combined output is about 436 with the electric motor and 85 kilowatt electric motor and and the twin turbo so, v6 yeah, i mean that, that blows uh, my mind right there sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but like the idea that you, you're going to do a hybrid, so you've got to put a twin turbo V6. Like those things seem to compete, not. Well, the, the, the thing to keep in mind is, you know, kind of the trend that we've seen, especially from the premium brands is, you know, and, and Volvo's doing the same thing. You know, they've got, you know, they, they pair their, their twin charged uh, two liter turbo with their plug in hybrid, you know, so they're putting out uh, in the plug in hybrid, you know, it's about 400 horsepower. So it's pretty comparable to this, uh, to what the Mercedes is doing. And uh, it's, what what they're what they've been doing is putting these plug-in hybrid powertrains with more powerful engines. So rather than going for maximum fuel economy, you know, like a Prius would do or a Hyundai Ionic or something like that, they are actually uh, pitching these in in the marketplace as more uh, premium, more performance-oriented hybrids uh, that also just happen to get significantly better fuel economy. So you're getting both, and by doing that, you know, by by selling it as a as a more of a performance variant, um, you know, you can charge a, get a, a higher price point for it, and in in that way, um, they can they can market it, um, you know, at at a at a price point where they can actually make money on it as opposed to making it a loss leader. And so it helps them get their, their average fuel economy up to get their CO, you know, their fleet CO2 emissions down um, and, and be able to pitch it, you know, to uh, a customer, you know, the type of customer that wants uh, a more premium model, a more, more performance oriented model. And certainly, you know, the GLE 550E, you know, has more than adequate performance. Um, you know, it, it got, uh, it averaged about 28 miles per gallon, you know, during the week I was driving it, um, you know, in uh, Colorado, you know, in the thin air in Colorado. So that was, that was fine. It, you know, it only gets about, uh, about, nine or 10 miles of all electric range because uh, it's got a relatively small battery and it's, it's fairly hefty. I mean, this thing weighs about 5,500 pounds. That's more than fairly. Uh, hefty. So, that's, that's, a, that's yeah, like two cars 
FT. But you know, I mean, you know, it's it's an older uh, Mercedes design. You know, before they really started optimizing for uh, fuel efficient or for weight. You know, and I think when the when the next generation GLE comes out in the next year or two, probably um, we'll probably see it be you know lose several hundred pounds at least um, from, from where it is today. And that's, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind. You know, as I said, the, this GLE has been around in more or less its current form since about 2010. So it's, it's getting on there in years, you know, and it, um, you know, it's kind of the, the previous generation of Mercedes design language. So it's, it's not quite where, you know, the current E-class and S-class are, uh, from a design standpoint. Uh, so I think, you know, we'll probably see something that looks a little smoother and sleeker, uh, for the next generation. Um, you know, a little more, a little more modern, uh, but you know, this, this one was fine. And certainly the, the interior, you know, compared to the, the current E and S, um, the interior is where you see the biggest difference, you know, in, in terms of the, the technology and the design, um, you know, I think, you know, when we get the next GLE, it'll, it'll have, it'll probably adopt the, the really wide screen look, you know, that's got two, um, two LC, two large high definition LCDs in there. One in the center, one, one for the cluster. Uh, we already saw that on the new um, G class, the G wagon that launched at the uh, Detroit Auto Show, and you know the the E and the S already have that. So we'll probably see that in that kind of look in the new GLE as well. Uh, yeah, like Mercedes, another brand that just they they come up with an idea and they. It's what what was it that BMW's guy said a while ago? Like uh, the same sausage, different lengths. It's a, kind of the same thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, more come or less. Up with an idea and it goes across all their cars. It's very consistent. You know what you're in. You know where the, the, the you know, the, the controls are. Um, you know, they do it a particular way. They do it the Mercedes way where Volvo does it the Volvo way. BMW, same thing. There's, they have their, their quirks, you know, but, um, once you get familiar with that in one of their cars, you pretty much understand, understand it across all of their cars. Um, like command, how bad that is. (laughs) You you expect that Mercedes is going to have it and it's going to be bad. Um, although it's probably not as terrible. Yeah. Well, that, that, and yeah, I mean, it's it's better it's better than it has been. I mean, it's the same same basic UI that's been in most Mercedes for the last you know eight or ten years, um, and that's another thing. You know, when the when the when the new GLE shows up, um, I have no doubt it'll probably adopt the new MBUX uh, infotainment system that just launched on the uh, the A class, the new A class uh, hatchback, uh, which also debuted at the uh, Geneva show. Um, and that's, you know, that's an all new system that's much more powerful, uh, than before it's based on some new NVIDIA. It runs on some new NVIDIA, uh, GPUs, um, you know, it incorporates new, uh, a new hybrid, uh, voice recognition system that uses both, uh, embedded and cloud, uh, components, you know, it's, it's developed by, um, nuance. Uh, so, you know, when you've got, uh, cellular connectivity, it, you know, it gives you, it allow it enables more natural language style processing. Uh, you know, so if you want to, you know, get a, uh, put in a navigation destination, you know, you can just tell it where you want to navigate to and uh, it'll figure it out. You know, it'll send it up to the cloud, process it and, and figure it out much more quickly and much more reliably than the system that was in this GLE, which frankly <laughs> did not work that well, uh, you know, in terms of voice recognition. Uh, but fortunately, you know, the GLE did have, does have support for, um, 
Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. So, you know, using Android Auto worked a lot better once I figured out where to enable that in the in the menu structure. Um, that that in itself was a bit of a challenge. But uh, once I finally found it, uh, then it worked, you know, it worked much better than the embedded system. Um, you know, and we took this thing for a drive up into the mountains on uh, on Saturday morning. And, you know, it it despite weighing almost three tons, um, you know, it, it did surprisingly well, you know, navigating around these narrow hairpin turns going up, uh, going up the side of this mountain and then coming back down, uh, you know, just coasting, you know, with a light foot on the brake pedal um, using the, uh, the regen, it managed to re- recover, get the battery from zero back up to about 50% state of charge by the time, you know, we got about seven miles back down the mountain again. Well, so yeah, that, that's not that bad was at all. Good. I mean that's uh, that that weight is is uh, road hugging weight. <laughs> uh, yes, it. Uh, that's one way to describe it. Keeps you stuck to the to the pavement, um, where other cars yeah. just blow whole, away. Whole, whole, well, better be, better stuck to the pavement than going off the edge of the cliff. You know, down the down the side of the mountain. Yeah, that that's for sure. I remember we we took um, the Mount Washington Auto Road. Uh, I guess this was a while ago now. Um, back in like two thousand four. But it was it was rather terrifying when you start to get up at the higher elevations because you look over and it's like there's no guardrail and we could just drive right off the edge and we'd be down would wind up in the ravine down all the way at the bottom. It's yeah, kind of like uh, Pikes Peak. Yeah, yeah, it's just which, which is you know was actually you know it was only about thirty miles from where we were. So you didn't try to see how quickly you could get up it. <laughs> no, I I would Not. love to see uh, how fast that that Mercedes could do it. I would think that would yeah, be you know, I, I I don't think my wife would have appreciated that though. I yeah, that's that's true. That might have been something you need to to get wind and dine. I'd like to, I'd like to stay married. Yeah. You know? No, they mean they need to make that an automaker trip. You know, like they can launch <laughs> the next GLE at uh, Pikes Peak and um, you know, have the fine stakes out for it. All right, I'm starting to babble. So, uh, <laughs> um, the, well, maybe maybe that's what Ford is planning next week for the. Uh, um, launch driver, the new F-150 diesel. Uh, yeah, I mean, or maybe they're just going to give you like one gallon of fuel and and uh, challenge you guys to like sort of... See how far we can get up the mountain. Yeah, because uh, it's supposed to get 30 miles to the gallon, right? It, it's EPA number came out and it was it was pretty good. Yeah, only only for the uh, the two-wheel drive um, XL or XL or XLT, the the uh, base version, you know, basically the uh, the fleet yeah. truck version. That's the only one that gets thirty. All of the the uh, non fleet versions, all the all the consumer versions, are uh, only getting twenty five. Yeah, but they can say thirty because yeah. one of them. I and mean, that's the same way they they play around with like the towing numbers too. They're like, yes, the F one fifty with a three cylinder engine gets it'll tow nineteen thousand pounds. <laughs> it's like one of them but only when you're going downhill right. in, a si- in a single configuration it, it will and not the configuration that most people buy um but uh, yeah the, the tr- trucks are impressive these days anyway yeah um you know it i didn't have anything all that exceptional this week i had a, a charger i had a 2018 charger gt which i think is um it's not necessarily an, a new trim but it's uh, updated you know it's it's basically all the uh the challenge of GT parts <laughs> in a charger, um, which is funny because the, the challenge of GT parts came from the charger. Uh, it, regardless, um, 
I think it might actually be the. They just they just kind of keep leapfrogging each other. Yeah. So well, what it, I think what it was was it, I think it was the actually the Charger GT Plus. So um, it, it has the the more efficient transfer case that allows the front axle to be disconnected and um, it. it well, that's something they've actually had for is several it? years now okay. on the uh, the LXs, uh, is that that full disconnect uh, transfer case. Okay, so and you know maybe because that, that that adds about a mile per gallon um, in highway driving. You know, like overall, this is, these cars are aging so gracefully. I, I mean, it's a great car. It's a four four door sedan that's spacious. Uh, you know, it's got all wheel drive, so it's it's pretty sure footed. It it also defaults to rear wheel drive, so it drives nicely. Um, you know, it's got a 300 horsepower V6. It's not like it's pokey, a uh, good size trunk, you know, all of the things that you want in a car. It's, 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 a, it's a good car that has been on the market for a decade. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something that, that Chrysler knows how to build and build consistently. Yeah. And they must be making, I, I hope they're making fat margins on this car now. Um, because all the tooling and engineering and everything else has well tooling i guess is kind of an ongoing cost some of it anyway but like it these cars are long paid off i hope oh yeah um and and they're not bad they're not bad at all and they keep tweaking them to yeah. keep them it, up to date so yeah just you know they they keep giving them some you know you know some new features every year and you know adding adding some stuff you know every every time the new model year rolls around they you know add some new trim level you know throw in a slightly more powerful hellcat engine or something you know <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure it's only a matter of time before we see the charger demon that would be cool i mean <laughs> coolish and you know those models I, i'm sure they don't expect to sell many of them but it gives the rest of the the model lineup a lift you know it's that classical sort of halo car thing uh and it and it works you know and i was surprised to see the the charger gt because uh you know there's nothing really all g all that gt about it you know it's it's a v6 with all-wheel drive you could have gotten an rt with all-wheel drive in the hemi not too long ago um, I have to admit, I didn't go poking through uh, the site to see if you still can. Um, so maybe that's the difference where they've shuffled. But, a little you know, bit. I mean, it, well, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, 300 horsepower, you know, in a in a in a family size sedan, you know, I mean, 300 horsepower in a sports car. Yeah. You know, 15 years ago would have been pretty phenomenal. You know, that's, you know, 15 years ago, you know, 300 horsepower would have been a lot in, you know, say a V8 Ferrari, much less, you know, something like a, you know, a Charger GT, yeah. you know, as the base trim level. Yeah, it's it's a nicely done, you know, I just, I'm, I'm so impressed. Like these cars are so old and they were based on old stuff. They don't feel old. They don't feel uh, you know, maybe maybe it's bias a, a little bit of uh, just you know I like it and I want to like it. So, um, you know, overall, you know, the materials and stuff in the interior are good. They've they've evolved the cars enough to keep them feeling pretty fresh. They do they they styling wise, you know, they can only go so far. So <laughs> like that that starts to does start to sort of blend in because there's a lot of these these shapes that we've seen for a long time now. Uh, no matter how they change the front and, and, and rear, it does that starts to get a little bit uh, long in tooth. But there's only so much around, you around here. You just got to keep your eyes out, you know, for the the blue ones with the uh, the red light, the red flashing lights on the top. Yeah, that's the 
you know, the Michigan State Police use use a lot of these uh, for patrol cars. Yeah, yeah. As do as do you know, police in a in a lot uh, much of the country. Yeah, they're they're they did become popular with um with police fleets, uh, and and now I've I've started to train myself. Every time I see an Explorer, I take my foot off the gas, <laughs> especially the Explorer Sports. And I think Ford did this on purpose. They make the Explorer oh, yeah. Sport look just like. The unmarked cruiser, like the unmarked interceptor or whatever they call the, the police version of it. The uh, police interceptor utility. Yeah. Um, that if, if it's an unmarked version, it looks just like an Explorer Sport. So it's just like. Well, even actually, even even the marked ones, you know, most of them, a lot of them now have, you know, uh, the lights are integrated into the grill. Yeah. And like the top edge of the windshield. So there's there's no external when the lights are off, there's nothing externally visible. So even if they're marked, a lot of times you can't tell until the lights start flashing uh, and you realize, oh, shh. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> I've had that happen. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's a thing. Um, and the other vehicle I had, uh, which I think I had it a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, I just I wound up back in the uh, the Nissan Armada uh, Platinum Reserve, and I'm not complaining because it's uh, it's a very nice large SUV that is going to come in handy for the rest of the weekend because we have a. A thing to do, so a, you know, like a family thing. You get some, so. you get some big stuff to haul around, or just uh, lots of kids uh, to haul around. People and big stuff, like just large kid activity stuff, you know, so sports stuff. So it it'll and be. That's you know that's where vehicles like that come in handy. You know, Although the, you know a minivan would still probably be a better solution, but you know, a minivan will be, yes, a minivan would be great um, for a lot of reasons. But it, even then, you know, the SUV, it like. I remember how how offended everybody was that SUVs were popular. And it's it's almost now like that hatred has been transferred to crossovers. And it's like, yeah, I okay. So it's not a sports car. But I'm at that stage in my life where a sports car would sit because it's only got a couple of seats and I need I need to put everybody in the car and take them to a different city. <laughs> like yeah, your your kids are still a few years away from having their own driver's license. Yeah, yeah, and an ability to uh, get themselves to to where they need to be, um, and and a preference for doing that without you tagging along. So right. So <laughs> although they they may they may already have that preference, but not the ability um, to, yeah. to to do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then once they start earning their own damn money, then they can yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> sound like a 50s dad speak speaking of being uh offended um and in this case particularly visually offended um <laughs> well the, a couple of days ago we had uh some images leak out of uh the concept vehicle that mercedes-benz is going to be launching uh this coming week i think at the uh, beijing motor show in, in china um the mercedes maybach ultimate luxury at it I have to say, like, I'm usually I, I, I usually kind of shrug at some of this stuff because like, yeah, all right, whatever. Um, but man, that that thing is it is ugly. And I think everybody who says if they actually make it, they'll sell out all of them. I think that's both of those things can be true. <laughs> uh, sadly, uh, you are absolutely right. Um, you know, they will. You know, there's a lot of people out there with far more money than sense. Um 
And um, unfortunately, you know, the, those two things often go, you know, in opposite directions. As you get more and more money, you tend to often have far less sense about these things. Um, and, you know, so for some inexplicable reason, um, Mercedes-Benz has taken the, the GLS platform that I mentioned earlier, which is their their full-size, you know, three-row uh, SUV, and um, put something that looks kind of like a, a bloated sedan body on this thing that just looks ridiculous. It And that split rear window. I mean, yeah, what? I, what is that? You know... I I do wonder if it's Mercedes having its thumb on the or, you know its its finger on the pulse of the market that it expects to sell these in. That's not our market, you know. Um, it it's it, it it's bad to look at, but I I think that it's always got some presence, whether it's positive or negative. You know, it's almost like there's no such thing as bad press. Like there's no such thing as too shocking and. Uh, you know, in the wheels look kind of cool. Yeah, I, I like I like the wheels. Um, and they, they they look like the uh, the fans, you know, on a on a modern um, airliner yeah. engine. You know, the, the, the these compound curves, you know, so those look kind of cool. But the, the rest of this thing is just absurd. It, yeah, I mean, it's got this weird sort of sedan it, it, shape from the side it, profile. It's, it's strange. It, it, look, it looks like something that would be created by uh, <clears throat> who's that? Um, European tuner, uh, man, oh, man sorry. Sorry, it's awful. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks like something that they would build. Like, yeah, they're they're called man sorry because man, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like the just the thing I can't get over. Like it looks okay actually up until you get to the C pillar and there's just a, until you no, open no, your I eyes. Mean, you know, it's and, kind of innocuous from the front. It for the most part, it, this could be, you know. Uh, a, a Hyundai design from back in the XG 350 days. <laughs> and, and you'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's like, it, and then these are concept drawings too, right? Like this is not an actual vehicle. They don't, they don't look good enough to be, well, maybe they're, maybe they're renderings. I don't know. It's that it's yeah. the rear profile. That, like it, it looks like a, a compact sedan, which is not, but it, it just because it has that sort of stubby little trunk on it. And it's just I, I don't know. It looks to me like it looks like a Cavalier or um, an AMC Eagle. I think I think, you know, okay. if it were at something, you know, like a, a normal ride yeah. height, you know, the, the problem is the proportions are all wrong, you know, because it's got these big giant wheels and it sits up really high. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if it I think if it was if you took that basic profile and put it at a normal sedan ride height, it actually wouldn't be that terrible. Yeah. But it's just, you know, it, it looks like some, you know, bizarre cartoon that, you know, for something that, you know, for, you know, with a, with a Maybach badge on it, you know, this thing is probably going to cost, you know, $300,000. And it just looks I mean, silly. we've all seen ugly million dollar houses. So, yeah, all right. Um and you know it, it, apparently it's it's all electric um you know four four electric motors with 750 horsepower uh but you know i don't know like i i i, yeah. I get that it's kind of gross to look at but also like i can't get that worked up about it um i i really don't think this is going to be yeah i mean it's not like they'll ever yeah. sell very many uh, of these you know I, 
it'll be a travesty if this is what um, influences the uh, future generations of Mercedes vehicles, because right now their lineup looks better than it has in a long time um, from the, the yeah. C to the S and everything in between. It just it, at least sedan wise, it looks really good. Um, the pictures, of the interior of this car, they're, you know, again, the, the design thinking, at least on the inside is interesting. I won't, I won't say that I love it. Uh, I, I really, you know, I don't like the weird goldish or copper. I, I, apparently it's been popular now to to use bronze or copper for a trim color instead of gold or uh, you know, like aluminum or stainless. So I don't love that, like the color choices, uh, but the you know, design-wise, it's interesting. But the but the, the shape the shapes I, yeah. are good. I, I have no issue with the, the shapes. The dash on the panel with that weird like grill kind of thing on it. I don't know. It's interesting, and it has a bit of sort mm-hmm. of you know. There's almost like a little bit of throwback to that, which is which is nice. I I hate the tacked on LCDs. It's like look, we we took two tablets. We we went to Staples, and we we bought <laughs> we bought a couple of Surface Pros and stuck them together. Well, again, you know, this this is this is the you know that though is the the look you know of I modern know. Mercedes. I mean, that's what's in the E and the S and and even the new A class. Um, and you know this this is probably going to be running that MBUX yeah. um, infotainment system that I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, which you know I got a demo of it during the uh, Nvidia GPU technology conference. You know, and it's it's actually really good. It, it you know the interface is is um, much better than before. Uh, it's much more responsive. So I you know I think that this part will be you know the infotainment system will probably be fine. Yeah. And you know at the end of the day too, like I can't really say that this is any more offensive than the Bentley Bentayga, which is an actual car that you can buy, and the That's Bentayga true. is just like. That's uh, if it makes you vomit, <laughs> like it's done its job. It's just it's just <laughs> awful, and it's supposed to. I can't imagine that it's not supposed to be awful because, uh, again, it's supposed to announce something. And I think that that's part of what we're missing here. Is like, yeah, this is this is a car to be noticed. Um, so it does have to be a bit of per- hyperbole, you know. So I I don't know. Um, I if I had to spend my pile of money on a car. I would rather spend it on this than the Bentayga if those are my two choices. So well, this is a lot of, I did a lot of qualifying in that statement. <laughs> uh, it's I, at least they're thinking, you know, I, I get it. I get everybody was upset about the, the stupid grill on the Camaro like a week ago too. And I was like, I don't know. It looks fine to me. It looks like Camaro. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's not, not worth getting that worked up about. Um. Right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, speaking speaking of uh, electric uh, SUVs, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, we we already saw the the production version of the Jaguar I Pace at uh, Geneva, and uh, there's another one coming out that uh, Audi is starting to tease, which is their the e-tron Quattro. Uh, they brought some folks over to uh, Germany last week. Uh, to take a look at it, you know, at least, you know, some of the testing they're doing with it. Uh, Tim Stevens from uh, CNET went over there and uh, they got to see it, um, you know, being subjected to lightning strikes. In that room, Uh, that's a bunch of uh, Van der generators, isn't it? That's yeah, awesome. um, you know they're <laughs> they're they're generating some some serious electrical charges. There, uh, what four hundred uh, kilowatts 
of electricity over two over two seconds, um, and uh, yeah, or five yeah five hundred kilovolt. Yeah, five hundred uh, kilovolt strike. strike. Yeah, which is like that's five five hundred thousand volts of electricity. Yeah. But I mean, it's just eight tenths of an amp, though. That's that's not a lot of you know. Yeah. Well, you know, that's still that's still that's, a hell of a yeah. lot of volts. I mean, you know, you know, even you know, a real lightning strike, you know, is usually not a whole lot of current, but but there's a, a lot of yeah. volts, and you know, that'll oh, do no, some no, damage. That's true. That's true. And like, I just, um, I love that if it's a if it's a true Vandegraaff, it's just it's a very long belt, and it's generating static electricity, which collects on those domes. And then like it gets just it gets too much, and then you get the strike. You know, it, 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 the dome can only yeah. hold so much, and then just uh, Vandegraaffs are cool, and they make a big bang. <laughs> and then when the bolt goes off, it must have been awesome to watch. Yeah, I mean this this was in, uh, and we'll link to uh, um, to the video that they had posted in this story. We'll link to the story, and it's got the the video in there. Uh, but the uh, the the Etron Quattro is the first of uh, VW's VW Group's uh, new generation of EVs, and this one's going to have a 95 kilowatt hour battery pack, uh, about a 250 mile range. Uh, it's about a Q, roughly Q7 sized SUV, um, and uh, uh, it's it's also going to have support for high power DC charging. Um, I don't know if it's going to have support for the full. 350 kilowatt charging that the the Porsche Mission E will have, um, but it it will definitely be able to support fast charging, and this you know this will be one of the first cars that can take advantage of the new uh, Electrify America charging network uh, that's going to be coming that, out that next they're year. They're paying for with their diesel uh, settlement money. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's the the two the two billion dollars that. Uh, that was part of the diesel gate settlement um, for infrastructure uh, is being used by <clears throat> by um, Electrify America, which is uh, a subsidiary of, of Volkswagen Group of America. Uh, and they are building out this uh, charging network um, that they announced this week. Um, the, the first 500 chargers, which will be in place by July of next year, uh, 100 of those will be station will be located at uh, Walmart store. So they're partnering with Walmart and they'll be putting in uh, a hundred of those at various Walmart stores around the country and a total of 500 um, in total by uh, this time next year. And um, they're going to add another 500 each year over the next four years. So 2000 charging uh, locations over the next four years um, from that $2 billion. Those those $2 billion too. Like it's not basically like Volkswagen, um, mimicking Tesla's sort of brand specific chargers either. Like it's, it's open. They're they're No, they're going to be standard, right. standardized chargers. So, um, you know, SAE combo chargers, um, with, you know, DC fast charging support and level two, uh, charging support. So 240 volt and, and, um, uh, for, or the initial ones that are going in are going to be 150 kilowatt. Uh, DC fast chargers, and by comparison, the superchargers are 100 to 120 kilowatts. So these will be more powerful than the uh, superchargers, and um, the they'll be uh, putting in they'll be putting in the uh, 
um, the necessary stuff to upgrade them to 350 kilowatts when the uh, Porsches come out, as well as some of the other upcoming models that are coming out. And in addition to that, um, VW, uh, Daimler, Ford, and BMW also have a joint venture in Europe called Ionity to build out a, a DC fast charging network there that's going to have another 400 stations in Europe by 2020. Yeah, uh, this is... A- it's funny because, you know, Volkswagen had the diesel thing. They're still sort of like digging out from, but I feel like what they're doing now, like it's almost like they're, (laughs) they're asking for redemption. Um, And they're saying, no, 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 really like this time we, we mean it. Uh, I can't imagine that the, uh, the e-tron Quattro is going to have uh, the production hell issues that uh, Tesla has had. And I think they're going to, they're, they're going to compete directly with Tesla uh, and they're, they're going to be meticulously engineered and, and even more meticulously built, um, which, oh, yeah. so it's going to be really intriguing to watch that battle sort of, sort of happen. You know, there's already murmurings about Tesla s- sort of being more smoke and mirrors, but on the other hand, you get a serious automaker not that Tesla's not a serious automaker, but like Volkswagen Group knows what the hell they're doing. They know how to be efficient. They know how to, you know, leverage platforms across multiple brands and still be profitable. They are no joke. And uh, if they're that committed to it, you can bet that five years down the road, um, they're going to be really, really formidable. Uh, and I don't know that Tesla's going to be. And and they 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 are I mean they are, Volkswagen Group as a whole is very committed to electrification. And you know, you've got the the e-tron Quattro that's coming out this year. Uh those there's the e-tron GT uh or whatever they end up calling that uh you know, which is uh more of a sedan, a fastback sedan uh that's coming out next year. There's several other Audi uh, EVs coming out over the next three years. Volkswagen, the Volkswagen brand is going to have their whole ID lineup, starting with the ID hatchback next year, uh, the ID cross, uh, the buzz, the bus, um, and, and several other models. Uh, Porsche has got the mission E and the mission E cross Turismo that they showed in Geneva. Um, and then, you know, all the other assorted VW brands, um, you know, in Europe and, and other parts of the world will also, you know, have variants of those of those platforms coming out over the next several years. I think Volkswagen by 2025 is going to have about 50 different uh, battery electric vehicles globally, um, you know, in, in Europe, North America and, and Asia. Uh you know, starting with these. And as you said, I think they, they will be very well engineered. They're certainly doing a lot of testing. We've seen all kinds of spy photos of these things running around in Germany and in Sweden doing cold weather testing. Um, you know, they're, they're getting the factory up and running already. So I, I think uh, I think these will be they'll do just fine. Yeah, I don't think we're going to have the amusement over panel gaps and assembly quality. Uh, no. And, I, I mean, it's kind of too bad. I'm going to miss it. I mean, that's never been an issue, you know, for for Volkswagen Group anyway. I mean, you know, they're, you know, we've, you know, we've obviously, you know, or certainly I've complained about some of the reliability issues in the Volkswagens that I've owned. But, you know, certainly in terms of, you know, fit and finish and, and build quality, you know, they've always done an outstanding job. That's true. Even all the way back to the original Beetle, um, mm-hmm. build quality was one of the, the markers of a Volkswagen. Um and it's only improved from there. 
Uh, it was interesting to me. I was talking to someone at work. She was looking for a car. She was, she's got a TDI and she didn't go for the fix. And so she's now saying like, I want to get another TDI, but I can't. Um, and I, I don't really think I want the fix. So what am I, uh, supposed to do? She's got a Jetta with 120,000 miles on it. And it, it has been entirely trouble free. I was shocked. Yeah, well, you know, and that's that's always, you know, the one of the hit, you know, things with Volkswagen is it's always very hit and miss. You know, I've I've known a number of people that have had you know VWs that have run for two hundred thousand miles without any problems. You know, and others not so much. You know, (laughs) including your own. Yeah. So you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, you know, if if she's looking for something, you know, to get comparable fuel economy um is she got a sedan or a wagon she is the sedan the, the jetta and she was looking at like the, the toyota chr and i was like yeah i mean it's a thing it's entertaining but if you like the jetta and the tdi you're not going to get that kind of fuel economy out of it and it's not going to feel as responsive yeah um so yeah it's it's one of those sort of uh shopping build your shopping list things and and go go drive them because it's hard for me and I'm sure you've run into this too. It's like, it's hard to really like make a recommendation if somebody has such a, uh, sort of, um, a taste for one particular vehicle. And you know, the, the, the Germanness of Volkswagen was, was one of the things that came up regardless of the Jetta's not. I, I would suggest, you know, uh, depending on, you know, when she's actually looking at, buying you know maybe wait till later this summer and take a look at the new honda insight you know which is yeah you know that's you know it's based on the civic platform um you know it's gonna have uh the hybrid system that's in the uh the clarity plug-in uh minus the big battery so it's just a a conventional hybrid um you know should be priced very competitively should get great fuel economy um should have decent performance uh you know and you know since it's on that civic platform you know it'll have great driving dynamics as well yeah that's true that's true yeah i my my sort of looks really good right um and and it's yes that's that's true with the the honda the styling is hit or miss (laughs) with them it's it's, some people like uh like what was the type r and the um i saw a a clarity around here i was like what the hell is that (sighs) that one's definitely on the miss side as far as the design goes but yeah it looked like um it looked like somebody bought an Accord and then they put a bunch of stuff on it to make it look like the the old, kind of like a Mansory Accord. Not not <laughs> not quite. No, it was like a an, an Accord Electra two twenty five. You know, <laughs> just kind of like the old man old car stuff. Like I was looking yeah. for the white walls. It has like spats on the the rear wheels and stuff. And I know it's for for aerodynamics and stuff. It's just it's it's weird. It I, is I odd looking. I don't mind the front half of it. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, my lamest suggestion was just like, well, you know, if you like the Jetta, just wait for the 2019 Jetta. It should be out this summer. You should be able to buy it. Yeah. That's, that's another good one too. You know, um, and you know, it's probably not going to be quite as fuel efficient as the, uh, the, the TDI, but it'll, it yeah. should be pretty close. I don't know. We'll, we'll cross that bridge. I'll let you know what happens. Um, all right. Uh, where, where, where were we? We we're gonna be. Uh, we were it. talking about the e-tron and Electrify America. Um, oh, uh, Buick. Um, 
another oh, yeah. one coming out at the uh, at the the Beijing show, the Buick Inspire it's, EV. It's, first of all, uh, whoever came up with that weird kind of uh, portmanteau name there, Inspire, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> you could have called it the Buick Inspire. That would have been fine. It's a word. Well, it, it, it seems like Buick has decided that they're going to go um, with this pattern with yeah, their with naming the convention, starting with the EN, you know, because uh. you get the Encore, the Enclave. Um, what else? Uh, uh. I guess that's it for now. Obviously, the Inspire, assuming they stick with that name. It's, it's kind of like, at least it's EN and an EM, because uh, this whole thing is like Buick Emetic. The, um, oh, the Envision just, uh, is another one. Yeah. I, so the, the you know, all other utilities, you know, are, are yeah. using that pattern. So Enclave, Encore, Envision, and now the Inspire. It's it's yeah beyond beyond the name too. Like it just it it looks like a nice uh, vaporware wish list to me. And we've seen renderings. I we'll see the car. Well, the, yeah, the, the car will be shown in 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 Beijing this week. Yeah, um, you know, and from from what we can tell, it sounds like it's based on the. Uh, on a lot of the hardware from the bolt, uh, which is, you know, a good thing. Uh, although, um, with two motors rather than just one. So basically taking the, uh, you know, the, the bolt powertrain, um, you know, and doubling it up, you know, putting a motor at each axle, uh, for 410 kilowatts, zero to 60 in four seconds, uh, probably a little bit bigger version of the battery. Cause they're claiming 370 miles of, of range on a charge. So, you know, this is, this looks like it's, you know, closer, probably going to be closer in size to, uh, you know, maybe a little bit smaller than the on, uh, the on enclave, um, which is <laughs> the big one, the, the theta. No, right. Uh, Lambda, no, the, the, the Lambda. are you thinking of the envision, which is another terrible name? Um, right? isn't the envision the, no, <laughs> the enclave is the lambda or well I right guess so yeah, yeah the enclave is the lambda so it looks like um yeah there there is no envision right now what there, uh no is enclave on oh sorry envision yeah okay right sorry never mind yeah the, <laughs> they've clearly screwed up their names yes. too <laughs> yeah so it looks like it's about the size of the envision okay um, which the envision is weird because it's like they, they're not selling many of them so I'll I'll always at least around here in New England I'll see one and I'll be like what is that it's it's uh it causes the double take because it you know it's it's a crossover and you go oh, it, it it's one of those cars that looks like the um anonymized insurance uh, company marketing materials cars mm -hmm. where they like you can see things from the other cars they they sh like actual cars that they photoshopped together <laughs> that's what the Envision looks like to me it's like oh it's it's got all these different little styling ideas, but I don't I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah, it's the Buick. All right. Forgot about that. Um, anyway, sorry. Just. just yeah. So I mean, right now we, we have no idea, you know, if a production version of this one will come to the U.S. market or not. I'm guessing it probably will. Um, you know, just because, you know, Americans love utilities and, you know, 
GM wants is wants to get more. You know, they've promised more EVs uh, here, and so I would be shocked if we don't get a production version of the Inspire here in the next uh, probably the next eighteen to twenty four months. Um, especially given what you know what else is coming from, certainly from uh, from Ford and from other other brands. You know, they'll you know, and you know, Buick is supposed to be a more premium brand, and you know, that's the direction that all the premium brands are going. So, uh, I'm sure that we will see a production version of this one here in the U.S. So, I guess this is a modern concern too. Dick, does it become easier for them to take a car that's really intended for the Chinese market and just bring it over here? So, because Buick is this like it's GM's sort of like shrug and why not kind of thing, like. We, they don't they don't make money off Buick here, but they do in China. So like, yeah, why not? We'll try it in America. We'll try this model. Um, it it kind of doesn't really cost them anything to sell a couple hundred thousand Buicks every year in the U.S. Yeah, um, especially, you know, when you're selling, you know, one point two, one point three million of them in China. Yeah, it's it's like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> even if we lose money in the U.S., whatever. Um, but it doesn't have a conventional powertrain in it. So. uh it doesn't have to be federalized, right? Like it's, it well, be. I mean, you know, you still have to meet, you know, us crash requirements and you know, all the other regulations, but right. In but terms that of, seems like something yeah, ter- that's baked in, right? Like yeah, you don't in, have ter- to in terms of, you know, emission certification. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing to, you know, there's no problem there. I mean, that's, that's easy. Um, and you know, it'll certainly help their, their cafe numbers. So, you know, and, and, you know, GM promised, you know, 20 new zero emission vehicles by 2023. Um, and you know, a lot of those are probably going to be China only vehicles, but you know, this looks like a vehicle that would do really well in the U S market. Uh, the rendering or, or photo or whatever, it's, it's heavily, it's a, it's a render. Yeah. It, it looks good. Yeah. It, it, it's handsome. Um, you know, it it won't look quite that good when it's a production car, but uh, yeah, I mean, I could I could see them trying it here, um, and if crossovers are the way everybody's going to go, at least have some interesting ones, and it, it seems interesting. So, yeah, Again, no, I think I think I think it'll do fine. Yeah, why not? <laughs> what do you got to lose? Yeah, um, at this point, they they don't have anything to lose, so. Uh, that that should, uh, hopefully it works out. Honestly, um, I'd I'd like to see more interesting stuff because it, it gets kind of dull when everything is just a you know a shade of gray and a crossover. So, well, I mean, keep in mind that you know if and when this does come to the U.S. market, it will probably be available in five different shades of gray as yeah. well as as white and black, um, you know, and maybe one shade of red. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, know, so. at, at least it's not like gold. Every Buick from the '90s was gold metallic oh, yeah. gold and it's just that is a terrible color um all right uh, let's jump again to toyota um yeah. the, so because what i find interesting is that they they want to roll out uh vehicle to vehicle um right or is it v to i or uh, both? both actually v, okay. v to x so they want to roll out Vita X and they've rolled it out elsewhere, which I wasn't, I guess I wasn't aware that they've sort of successfully tested this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it. it's been on the market in Japan since late 2015. Uh, they've sold about a hundred thousand cars in Japan with uh, vehicle to vehicle communications. And <clears throat> this, you know, the, so what, what Toyota announced this week is that they're going to um, start roll, you know, doing a broad rollout of uh 
VDX communications technology uh, starting in 2021 in the U.S. market. And so this this is there right now. There's two competing technologies up until fairly recently. All of the efforts around vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure communications were using what's known as DSRC or digital or dedicated short range communications. And, um, you know, this it's it's basically a variation of Wi-Fi technology uh, that's been optimized for for this kind of application. And it sends short messages 10 times a second. Uh, about what's going on. So, you know, when, uh, you know, if, if you're driving along and your ABS activates because you hit a patch of ice, um, it'll broadcast out a message to other vehicles in the area that, hey, slippery road detected. Or if for some reason the driver, you know, hits the brake pedal hard, you know, to avoid some obstacle, you know, it'll, you know, it'll broadcast out a basic safety message saying, you know, uh, emergency braking detected, you know, different things like that. And, you know, the other vehicles that are following it down the road will receive, you know, assuming they're equipped with this technology, they'll receive those messages and pro- uh, they can provide an alert to the driver. Um, and if, uh, you know, and uh, uh, automakers can also integrate it into their active safety systems so that, um, you know, if you're going down the road in a car ahead of you, you know, slams on the brakes it can automatically, you know, uh, start slowing you down before the driver can can even respond to an alert. And one of the ways that Toyota is using this in Japan, <coughs> excuse me, is they're doing what they call cooperative adaptive cruise control. So um, when you've got a couple of Toyota or Lexus cars with this technology in there um, and you're using adaptive cruise control, adaptive cruise control normally uses a radar sensor to detect the distance and speed of the vehicle in front of you and automatically maintains that safe following distance. Well, with um, the DSRC added into that, the V2V part added into that, you can actually start to follow more closely because what happens is the leading car will communicate, will send a message back to cars that are following it, you know, saying, hey, I'm about to slow down. So you can, um, they can, they can coordinate what's going, what's happening and slow down together. So you can, you can follow clo- at a closer distance um, with, you know, with, while still maintaining a safety margin. Um and that's, that's also um, what what uh, they're starting to do, like they're doing with truck platooning, like companies yeah, like Peloton say, Technologies. They're calling that platooning, right? Like, yeah. So, so it's basically you get a roving pack of cars. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, like that. That sounds. It sounds all great. Like obviously they've got some of the the safety stuff, safety concerns. Like who's to to say you can't fake one of these signals and send it to a car and cause it to, to do something. Not that anybody would necessarily want to do that, but the, the, the thought, but that, if, if it, if it can be done, some, some bad guys will do it. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, unfortunately that's just the nature of the world we live in. Um, um, but they, you know, part, part of, you know, developing the standards for this stuff is they also uh, built in uh, authentication. You know, the, the standard includes uh, authentication protocols and the messages are all encrypted. Um, you know, so there's, you know, it uses a certificate based system and, you know, they've been testing this stuff for years, you know, here in Ann 
Ann Arbor, you know, they were for several years, they ran um, the safety pilot model deployment program, which was partially funded by uh, the Department of Transportation and, and also uh, the state of Michigan. Uh, and, and, you know, my wife's car was equipped with uh, DSRC radios, you know, and she was driving that around for several years, you know, and, you know, they were collecting data from all these cars, you know, about how the systems were working. Um, and then, you know, they, um, NHTSA, you know, had actually, you know, they had proposed uh, a mandate to require this to be included in all new cars from about 2020. And the, um, you know, the final notice of proposed rulemaking was published in December of 2016, um, you know, right after the election. And unfortunately, you know, um, in under the current administration, they have decided that they're not going to do any new regulations going forward. And so, yeah, well, that's that the, has the, just been installed. The frivolous uh, you've got to drop two to add one, which seems kind of random. Um, right. So that that's going to hamstring this process. And the, the two differences too, like, uh, you know, Toyota system is Wi-Fi and, and the Ford system is is cellular because everybody's trying to roll out their own kind of dsrc stuff um right well gm gm has also rolled out the dsrc based system the the wi-fi based system uh it's available on the uh the cts they launched it on the cts last year right that's Uh, right i remember that um yeah and and, you know gm gm and toyota have been two of the biggest proponents of this technology uh globally and in fact last year uh volkswagen also announced uh, in Europe, at least, that they're going to start rolling this stuff out, you know, across their model lineup in 2019. In Europe, they haven't made any announcements yet about what they're going to do in North America, uh, but they they are planning to deploy DSRC in Europe. And so the you know the other competing technology that you just mentioned, you know, is what's known as CV to X, which is a technology that um, Qualcomm has been promoting. You know, it's u- basically using LTE to do. Um, you know, direct peer-to-peer communications between vehicles. Uh, but that's still very early on in development. Um, you know, they Qualcomm's announced a chipset to support CV to X and Ford has started doing some testing with it. And they, they've said that they, that's what they want to use. They don't want to use DSRC. Um, but, you know, the thing is for, for any of this to work really well, you need to have a, a critical mass of vehicles, you know, on the road, you know, equipped with this technology. So they're sending messages back and forth, um, you know, and the, you know, the sooner you start getting cars out there, the sooner you'll get more vehicle, more, um, you know, more vehicles that are using it. Um, and this is why, you know, Toyota made this announcement, even though they're, you know, they have the technology in, in Japan, uh, but they're going to wait a couple of years before they start rolling it out here. But they announced it now because they want the rest of the industry to come along. Yeah. Know? So they want everybody to do it. Well, it's going to be like a beta versus VHS kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. there's multiple ways to do it and they'll all work. They will all have sort of their, their highs and lows. Um but it's really going to take everybody signing up for one, you know, picking one. And right. once that winner is selected, then I think it'll it'll catch fire uh, a little bit. Maybe that was a poor choice of words. Hopefully not. But, but it, you know, it will um, it will see wider adoption uh, once it's it's more of a standard, even if it's just sort of like a de facto standard. Uh, and you've got. Toyota. Toyota sells a lot of cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Volkswagen sells a lot of cars. GM sells a lot of cars. If they're all aligned on a on a a single standard, like that bodes well for that one winning out in the end. 
And, you know, other other manufacturers, you know, have demonstrated the stuff they've participated in the, you know, the pilot programs, you know, Honda uh, at the ITS World Congress here in Detroit a couple of years ago. You know, they showed off, you know, a bunch of things that they, that they were doing with uh, DSRC, um, including one uh, that was virtual towing, um, which was a pretty cool demonstration. You know, in that case, um, you know, they were using DSRC in the car. And if a driver became ill or incapacitated, for some reason, they could press, um, you know, an SOS button in the car and another car equipped with DSRC could, you know, come along, get in front of the, the car with the incapacitated driver and using the V2V messages, basically take control of the, the, the car with the, the ill driver and do virtual towing to get them to a hospital or to, you know, to a medical facility, you know, and then once they get there then just press the button and, and release it. So the, the other car would just follow where you're going, um, you know, without having to wait for an ambulance or something like that. Uh, so, I mean, and you know, you can, you can, uh, because it's based on Wi-Fi, you can easily put it, you know, use the Wi-Fi radios in cell phones and our existing cell phones, just retune them to the, the 5.9 gigahertz frequency that, um, you know, that TSRC is using, um, you know, to do vehicle to pedestrian communications, you know, so, you know, uh, a pedestrian with a, you know, carrying a phone could be broadcasting their position, you know, to vehicles, coming down the road so you can you would know you know somebody was about to step out into the street uh you could do vehicle to motorcycle vehicle to bicycle that sort of thing uh as well as vehicle to infrastructure yeah so there's a lot of upside to having this stuff uh, there's certainly privacy concerns um for for me like I, i'm the kind of person who doesn't have location on on my cell phone so i guess i'd get mowed over yeah <laughs> if i but, stepped out in front of traffic but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, anytime you add any kind of communications system, you know, privacy, you know, you're going to lose some degree of privacy, you know, for that extra safety benefit. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're know, in, that's, on public that, roads. That's, that's I mean. a that's a legitimate concern, you yeah. know, and and there's also, you know, I mean, even though they've they've gone to great pains to try to secure the the system, you know, there's also the risk that you know. It, you know, you've got any kind of complex system, there's there's a risk that, you know, somebody's going to find a vulnerability and exploit it. Yeah, I and mean, then that's going to happen. Look, people are always going to do that kind of stuff. I'm not all that concerned about it. I'm just uh, just thinking, like, those of us who don't have our phones broadcasting location, like, are is there going to be another thing where, where we're going to be pinging, you know, V to I or V to X networks just, so that they they know that we're there uh or are we just gonna take our lives in our own hands uh as we we do now and and just like not not have it like is it it's, it's not really a big question it's just a, a little point of curiosity i guess at this point it'll it'll be figured out yeah we'll 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 sort it out we'll yeah we'll find a way yeah my, and I, you know what that's what we've done i think we've sorted out a podcast i don't we didn't have any questions or anything did we uh, there were a couple of, uh, emails that came in, uh, oh, let's I see. Didn't see, 
All right. Um, let's see. On uh, the most recent podcast about hatches, uh, I mentioned uh, it's probably best to lease a golf due to reliability reasons, uh, and that you're uh, you'd li- lightly discussed earlier. Uh, let's see. I'm in the market for a new car, and I'm leaning heavily towards a Golf R. Uh, and no, this message did not come from Casey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I typically buy a car and keep it eight to ten years, and drive about thirteen thousand miles a year. My last two cars have been Hondas, and I'd never owned a. VW. Uh, one of the things I like about the 2018 Golf is the six-year, 72,000-mile warranty. Given this increased warranty, would you still recommend leasing a VW? Um, I yeah, I had not uh, recalled that they had bumped up the warranty like that. Um, and if that is, in fact, their bumper-to-bumper warranty, then, you know, it's probably not a bad deal. I mean, you, you probably could, you know, safely go ahead and, and buy the, the Golf R if that was the case. Um, you know, and you know, certainly if you if you do start having problems around the, you know, the five year mark, uh, you know, you still got time to ditch it, you know, and get something else uh, before the warranty runs out and you have to start paying through the nose. You know, the other option, of course, is if you're interested in something like the Golf R, Civic Type R, um, you know, it's yeah. It, it's a different look, but, you know, hey, it drives great. It, it does. They're they're different flavors, though, yeah. like the, the Golf is it's, and I don't know, like having just stepped out of the GTI too. Uh, I don't know that I'd spring for a Golf R if, with the GTI around, just because the the GTI is good enough. Um, but I, I mean, there there's there is a definite difference. Like there, you can you can tell that the Golf R is is quicker and has all wheel drive and stuff. So it, it if that's really what you want, don't shortchange yourself. But also like try. There are, the there, are, there are other options worth taking a look at, yeah. you know, uh, like a Subaru STI, the, the Civic Type R, um, you know, depending on where you live and what your road conditions are like, um, you know, you might want to take a look at the uh, the Focus RS before it goes away as well. I mean, they're yeah. they're not going to be around much longer. They're almost, you know, they're they're almost out of. Pr- I think they've uh, I think they already stopped building them in Europe. Um, and they may still be building some here for a few more months. Uh, and there's certainly some around at dealers, you know, so it might be worth taking a look at one of those as well. Um, I mean, honestly, I think that, uh, you're going to be okay. You, you, I mean, you'll have to navigate that, that Volkswagen thing that we talked about earlier. Like it'll either be good or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of a middle ground, but, um, you, you're going to keep it for eight years. You're going to do... 13,000 miles. I mean, it's a, it's a little over a hundred thousand miles. My calculator says it's 104,000 miles over the course of your ownership. I, I think you'll be all right. You know, you've got a pretty long warranty. You're only going to be a couple of years outside of warranty. Um, you know, you're, you're going to put that 60,000 miles on it pretty, pretty quickly. You're going to put it on before the time period is up. Um, but from, from 60 to 104, like that's, that's not, it's not a huge show. Like I've, I've bought, I bought my Volvos with like, I bought one of them with 85,000 miles on it and it, it had its issues, but generally it was okay. Ish. Yeah. And you know, like, I, you know, like I've said before, you know, somewhere around 55, 60,000 miles is, you know, if, if things are going to start to go wrong on a Volkswagen, that's usually where it starts to happen. And yeah. you know, it's, it's often very expensive things to fix, you know, but if you've still got another, you know, 15, 10, 15,000 miles of warranty left on it at that point, then, you know, you've got some, you've got some margin for error there. Yeah. Just don't get upside down on it. 
Yeah. Too, like, you know, too, too short. Uh, That's right. Don't, don't, don't overspend. Yeah. <laughs> the Golf R is delightful. I, I like it a lot. So. I, I haven't driven the current generation Golf R, so you know, I can't comment on that. But I mean, you know, all all my experiences in driving Volkswagens, you know, have been great. You know, the the, the driving dynamics are fantastic. You know, they, they've always been really good. Um, it's just the ownership right. experience that has been troubling for me. But, you know, like I said, if, if you know, with a with a better okay. warranty, I don't know how, how maybe that's not well, going to be an issue I, this time. I don't time. know how helpful that advice was, but. That that's that's true. We always we you know we're, how, we're how helpful like, is any of our we always hedge our bets. Really. We're always like, well, yeah. I mean, like if I were going to do it, I would do this thing definitely. But you, you may want to waffle around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and then we did have one other uh, email from from Jeremy um, referring to my rant uh, on the last episode about uh, autonomous driving and, and uh, semi-autonomous or semi-automated features. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, you know, just a, a reminder, you know, that the, the systems that are on the market today are not fully automated. You do have to um, stay in control. Um, you know, and what Jeremy mentioned here in the in the emails, you know, you didn't think I took it far enough. Um, things like automatic emergency braking and blind spot detection are things that a lot of people don't fully understand their limitations. Um, and he sees plenty of cars uh, on Michigan roads with the amber lights and the side mirrors, uh, even though there's nothing next to that vehicle you know so and so that's the the blind spot monitors that he's referring to you know which uh in most cases uh they you know there's usually uh an indicator built into the side mirrors to tell you when there's a vehicle that's been detected in the blind spot um yeah and that's uh you know if, if if you know if you're in a position where you can actually see that um you know if you're in another vehicle and you can see that um that you know that light on in the mirror um and there's no other vehicle next to that that means you're probably the one that's in the blind spot and being detected you know so the the range where those blind spot monitors um you know will pick it up you know and and the way those work is there's there's a short range radar sensor on either side in each of the rear corners of the vehicle that are looking out and back you know sort of in a you know looking at, to the the corners out and back on either side of the car um so if you're close enough that you can actually see those little indicators on the mirrors uh, it's pro it's probably your vehicle that the sensors are picking up yeah. um you know so i mean they've got a range of probably about um, 30 to 40 feet. Uh, let's see. Yeah, pro probably, probably about 50 to 60 feet uh, that they'll pick up. So, you know, if you're in that zone, that's that's probably why you're seeing those those on but you know the the rest of the email goes on you know to talk about you know what happens um you know when the systems don't work properly and people don't know what to do uh these types of technologies are teaching people that uh they don't need to drive their vehicles will tell them what to do or do it for them and then you're getting too close you know like you're getting too close to the lane line your seat will vibrate car will move back uh will move you back to where it should be 
but you know, if the sun hits a sensor and blinds it, uh, now it doesn't know what to do. And the truck in front of you is, um, it might be doing something, uh, and your car won't, may not automatically slow down. Yeah. Um, he refers to his mother's 20 year old truck, uh, that has the ABS light on. I had to tell her that, uh, that light on her ABS with that light on her ABS isn't working. You know, so that's those, those warning lamps are an indicator that something has actually failed. Yeah. So um, that makes me think that, that, um, maybe he lives in a state that doesn't have inspection. Uh, cause there's no way. Yeah. Well, he refers to Michigan, you know, so I, I think, Does, I think he actually lives here in Michigan. Did you guys have a yearly inspection? Uh, no. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> like there's no way our cars here in Massachusetts will get a sticker an inspection sticker, uh, without, with an ABS light or a check engine light on, um, you have, even if you have like a an OBD two scanner and you clear the check engine light, if you don't drive it for the, the sort of uh, cycles to get any pending stuff out, you, you can't just reset it and take it there. Right, and and if, if there's so. still a fault there, you know, as soon as you start driving again, it'll it'll the light will come back on. Yeah. Um. So there's there are issues that uh, inspections are good for catching. Um, but no, he's, he's right. But um, I mean, even, you know, I mean, what if, you know, if the light comes on, you know, two weeks after you've had your inspection, you know, you've got another year before you get inspected right. again, you've got to be aware that, you know, when that light comes on, that warning light comes on, that means the system's not working. Right. Yeah. And, most people don't know that. And, and like the, the airbag lights, the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, if you hit the brakes and the road is slippery, you know, you've got to be prepared to, you know, modulate the brakes or pump the brakes, you know, the way we used to do, um, you know, and you, you can't rely on the ABS because it's not going to be there, you know, or stability control won't be working um, or your traction control might not be working. So, you know, all that's, this is all part of what we were talking about last week um, with, you know, educating people about what the systems are capable of doing, but also what they, what they can't do and, you know, it needs to go, Beyond that, you know, to also educating them, you know, what are these what are these lights on the dashboard mean when they come on? You know, what happens? You know, what people need to understand? You know, what what's happening when these systems are are deactivated for any reason? You what know, you whether mean? it's just you know slush on the radar sensor or you know some you know some other sensor failing. Yeah, you mean you don't read the manual? <laughs> what what's a manual? You're right. Uh, well, my t- the Jeep didn't even come with a man. It, oh no, I guess it did. It came with a it came with a book. It did. Um, yeah. It didn't come with um, uh, like repair. Man, there was something that it, it like the full owner's manual. So it just had like tiny books, like the Quick Start Guide or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, it it again it goes back to like I want drivers to be trained more like pilots. Um, you know, I want controls to be more like airplane controls where they're standardized. So it's not, you know, there's, there's less styling involved and it's just, nope, these controls are always this way and they're always in these locations. Um, I, I think that would help, uh, the, the amount of complexity that's in cars with these active safety systems that just start beeping at you and tugging at the wheel and hitting the brakes. If you don't know that that's going to happen, it, it can freak you out. Um, or, and- or, or worse yet, you know, if you're, if you do know what's supposed to happen and it doesn't happen, right. which is yeah. you know, kind of the point of Jeremy's email here, you know, understanding that what, you know, what do you do when the systems are not working? Yeah. And, and sometimes it's really subtle, like the Armada that I've got this week, we had, we had some April snow, which was lovely. Um, and it, it was, 
thick and heavy and wet, and so it collected on the radar sensor. So it the um, dynamic cruise control stopped working. It didn't really beep all that loudly at me or anything. I can't. I don't even remember if it actually beeped at me. It just. I noticed at one point I was in traffic and it started accelerating because I had the, the speed set higher than what the traffic was doing. Um, and it's just like it. It started accelerating to its set speed or something. Like it's. It was acting really funny and it. it uh, it, like I, I didn't know why I figured it probably had some crap on the sensor. So I, you know, I noticed this and I kicked it back into manual control and it was fine. But if I hadn't been paying attention, I would have just hit the car in front of me. Well, and um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's another, another place where there's inconsistent behavior because, you know, in the Armada, you know, the adaptive part of the cruise control stopped working, but the cruise, the, the basic cruise control continued that, to work. That must be what it was. Yeah. It was, I, yeah, you know, so I, I don't know. The, it, it was accelerating because it was going up to whatever your set speed was and ignoring the the distance to the vehicle ahead of you. Um, you know, in other cars I've driven, like you know, in uh, in Mercedes S Class I drove last fall, in the um, uh, Hyundai Sonata, when that radar sensor became obstructed for whatever reason. Uh, the cruise control didn't work at all. Not, yeah. not you didn't you didn't have standard cruise control or adaptive cruise well, control. Well, and that that happened later uh, in the drive that it did. So I don't know oh, if okay. it was like if it was confused and that or what. Like I don't know if it was two related incidents or, it, but it did. It just exhibited weird behavior, and so I was like, okay, not a big deal if you're paying attention, but if you're not paying attention, it's it's a much bigger deal. Yeah, and you, you know you do have to pay attention to all these systems, and and I think you know as part of you know, the delivery process and just part of general driver training, you know, we need to do a better job of educating people about, um, you know, how these how these systems function. And, you know, unfortunately, the reality is that most of the people doing the training don't really understand the technology either. You know, there's actually yeah. not that many people that really do understand how this stuff is supposed to work. Oh, yeah. And like the the amount of just straight up bullshit. <laughs> Yeah. And like wrong headed understanding of these things that you hear. It's it's almost like a comedy routine where, <laughs> you know, like somebody's trying to just mash up a bunch of, of statements and, and put them together for a laugh. But it's not funny because a lot of people just don't get it and they don't they, understand. They, they know they have just enough knowledge to be dangerous. Yeah. So. Uh, and on that note. That. Yeah. Hey. Now, now, now that we now that we've told you just enough stuff to make to you know put you in danger, yeah, we're gonna be real cheery. So enjoy the uh, rest of your week. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, I think we're we've exhausted our our supply of uh, good cheer topics at this point. Um, so we're just gonna talk in circles about being a downer about how we're all gonna die and our cars are gonna kill us. Well, we're so, all gonna die eventually, anyway. Yeah, so so we know, should just might as well yeah. enjoy the ride. Exactly. Hey, look, every day you wake up, you have been cheated once again by death because you're still here. <laughs> or you have cheated death or something or, like that. E either or. I mean, you know, let's play the victim card. Death <laughs> did not, you know, do his job. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> All right. See you uh, next time, everybody. Yeah, hit us up at uh, we are wheelbearings. Wheelbearings cast on Twitter with no 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 vowels except for that last one. Wheelbearing Media on Facebook. You can leave us a review uh, where you leave reviews. Uh, get us in your 
your favorite podcatcher. And um, yeah, we're around. So talk to us. Uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.